What's going on guys? Welcome back to the Health Mastery Show, episode 29. Today we have on Dr. Brandon Roberts. I had on Brandon before when we talked about nutritional strategies for bodybuilders in the off-season, but this time around we're talking about some recent work that he's been doing on looking at the ketogenic diet for physique athletes. Really interesting conversation. The ketogenic diet is something that I'm really interested in. I haven't been able to successfully do it for a very long period of time, but I do like the research and where it potentially can go more so for cognitive performance. And today we specifically talk about how it can potentially affect your physical performance in the gym and maintaining muscle and even building muscle. We talk about bulking as well. If you are listening for the first time, please do subscribe, hit that subscribe button. And if you're listening, a regular listener, please uh, please tag us both. Share this on social media, share it on your Instagram stories, tag myself at adammac192 and tag Brandon Roberts at brob underscore 21. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Dr. Brandon Roberts. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on again, man. Yeah, it's great to have, have me back. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's good to chat to you again, man. So, how's uh, the lockdown been treating you, or, or how is it in your part of the world? What's what's it like? Oh man, so I just got access to a small gym after four months. It's it's just like a barbell dumbbell type setup, um, and I have been so sore, but it's been so nice. So it, mm. it's been rough, but it's becoming more normal. Yeah, for me, I I luckily got the like a, a squat rack back in March. Because I knew that it was the gyms here said they were going to close for two weeks, and I knew just based off of like what was happening in China and other parts of the world that there's no way that this isn't going to impact the gym for two weeks. Like it's going to open in two weeks, so I think it ended up being like five months. Or the gym I actually went to is still closed, so uh, it's it's not open until July at some point, late, late July. So yeah, I I started to lose a bit of steam mentally like just training at home i don't know why i guess just just having that change of scene uh literally my squat racks in my sitting room and i live in a, an apartment that pretty much has a, a living room and a bedroom so i kind of got a bit i don't know felt a bit like i was getting cabin fever or something like that and it just lost a bit of motivation but um got back to the gym in my university i don't ever train there but um it, it's been good and quite sore my hamstrings are still sore from doing like two sets something like that it's crazy yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's really nice to, to be back. But today we want to touch on uh, a recent paper that you'd released um, titled The Ketogenic Diet for Bodybuilders and Physique Athletes. So can you talk to us a little bit about why you wanted to look into this topic, specifically on ketogenic diets? I know that it's it was, it, it's definitely something that's a kind of mainstream or hot topic over the last couple of years, the keto diet, like whether that's for fat loss or cognition or whatever other miracles people mention that it can perform, but why did you want to look into this specifically? Yeah, so we've been covering the, the ketogenic diet, Adam and I, who's the, the first author on this, um, on scifit.net for oh, probably three or four years now. Um, and it kind of peaked in, I want to say 2017, like peak interest, like if you look at the Google search terms and stuff. Um, so we, we were doing these massive series and having all kind of um, guest scientists come on and, and review it and looking at, you know, adherence and uh, body composition and side effects and all these things. And we're actually still not quite done with it. I think there's one more piece to be done. Um, but during that time, you know, people always are trying to optimize things in physique sports and bodybuilders. Um, so uh, right about a year ago, the National Strength Conditioning Association 
reached out and they were like, hey, do you guys want to do a mini review on um, ketogenic diet for bodybuilders and physique athletes? And we were like, well, you know, there's not that much research like directly, but we can extrapolate from a few different things and uh, piecemeal something together and some decent recommendations. So, you know, we started on it. It took probably three or four months to, to pull the studies that we thought were relevant um, and then kind of had it peer reviewed um, and that took a little bit longer and then we had it published. So it was, it was a long time in the making. Mm. And I suppose for people who don't really understand it, you get a lot of different views of what specifically a ketogenic diet is or or what actually puts you into ketosis. So could you explain a little bit about what what it actually is? Some people just think it's a, a low carb diet with high protein. When you're looking at it, is it is it moderate protein? Is it like very low carbs? Is there a carb cutoff or is it just basically when somebody is in ketosis by using say ketone strips or something like that or, or whatever they're called? Yeah, so it was, I'll give you a little bit of backstory to the keto diet because I've actually been uh, studying it since I was an undergrad like eight or nine years ago. Um, but it was originally used in the 20s and 30s for uh, people with epilepsy and people with diabetes. And so it was a clinical kind of intervention. Um, they didn't really know how it worked back then, but over the years we've come to realize that it's probably something to do with the ketones that our body creates due to lack of carbs. So generally, it's thought of as a 75 to 85% fat, about 15% protein, and you know a couple percentage points of a carbohydrate diet. And that's true in the general population for those who you know are obese or overweight or just like normal. Um, but physique athletes are a little different, right? Because we need protein. And there's been a shift to a more moderate or I would say high protein diet, right? Where you're getting, um, you know, uh, at least body weight in, in pounds of protein in grams. So our review encompassed kind of a little bit of everything because there's only one or two studies with high protein keto diet. Um, and even then, you know, it's still not high compared to what uh, physique athletes take sometimes. So that's kind of the, the breakdown of the keto diet, but most of these studies had about 15% protein. And I did a little, little math. Um, if you're eating a 2000 calorie diet, um, 15% protein would be about 75 grams, uh, and 30% protein would be about 150 grams. So most physique athletes would probably lean towards the 150 grams on a 2000 calorie diet. Mm. So it seems like protein would be a little bit low on, on recommendations for uh, what are the recommendations are given for, for bodybuilders uh, e even on the 150 grams at 2000 calories is, is still quite low depending on what your what your current body weight is. Um, you know I think when I was when I was cutting down I definitely got below that 2000 calories but my body weight was still that would still be less than probably 0 0.8 grams per kilogram uh, or, or per per pound of body weight so I think it's probably a little bit low is it possible to have a ketogenic diet where you're actually eating higher protein so let's say one gram per pound or 2.2 grams per kilogram or would that actually take you out of ketosis because you know because the protein is insulinogenic itself um, so from the studies that we reviewed and um, kind of experience I have not seen high protein kick people out of 
ketosis. Um, we, we again kind of did a little correlation on protein intake and um, BHB or, or ketones in the blood. And we didn't really see anything at all. So I don't think so. Um, now I've only like practically used the ketogenic diet once or twice. Um, so it may be that some people it could kick out of, but I, it, on average, it should not. Mm. So uh, I guess then if, if we're looking at a fat loss phase, what was the, what was the overall conclusions that you guys made in terms of how effective this is for fat loss and what were the benefits of a ketogenic diet rather than say a, a diet that's moderate in, in carbohydrates or, or, or a high carb, low fat diet? Yeah. So the, you know, calorie equated, they're about the same. Like there's no benefit really either way. Um, now, if you're not counting calories, um, that's where it may be beneficial for some people because there's this massive reduction in appetite. And um, we assume it's driven by the ketones. There could be some other things underlying there. But um, you see a, a like a 20% decrease in appetite. And then if you just let people eat and you say, you know, hey, don't eat carbs, high fat, medium protein, um, and you can eat whatever you want. What we generally see is a, a, a diet effect so that they'll eat about 20% less overall, just like naturally, if they're just eating. Um, so that's kind of kind of neat in terms of just a quick diet, or if you've you know struggled to uh, try and adhere to other diets. So it's it's not all bad, but um, you know there are some caveats to it. Mm. And I, I guess when you're getting into a ketogenic phase. Um, it, does it take a certain period of time? Do you have to like go super low in carbohydrates or would one day of higher carbs um, take you out of that ketogenic state, I suppose? And is there any kind of merit in using, say, do we, do we have to kind of throw these kind of refeeds and diet breaks, et cetera, at the window because um, typically they're, they involve the increase of carbohydrates? Yeah, so in a typical uh, keto diet, you would not refeed at all. Um, so that can be detrimental to training, obviously. Um, now, I have, in practice, heard of people using one-day refeeds, and it'll kick them out of ketosis. Like, over probably 75 carbs, once you're in ketosis, will kick you out. Um, but there are some people who refeed for a day and then go back into ketosis. And there seems to be, this is you know um, not super supported by the science, but there seems to be an ability to go in and out of ketosis better once you're on the ketogenic diet. Um, so that could be you know helpful to some extent. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I remember when I was in the gym before, like uh, many, many years ago, maybe like 16 years older, maybe even younger, 15, this, this guy used to tell me that... Uh, you know, ketogenic diet, I could, I could basically eat whatever I wanted at the weekend, the beers, carbs, whatever. And I don't think I was even old enough to drink beer, but <laughs> I could eat whatever I wanted as long as during the week I was uh, in ketosis and that those, it was superior for fat loss. I think it probably comes down to the idea of, or the misunderstanding of fat oxidation equals fat loss or body fat loss, which obviously isn't necessarily true um, or isn't true. What, what about the... I suppose when when we think about like the type of activity that we're doing, so the anaerobic activity and weightlifting, etc., it's quite like glycolytic, and we're using a lot of glycogen stores for that. Um, 
has has there been any effect or did you see got did you guys see any effect of being able to say handle more volume or maintain performance across a fat loss phase given that perhaps glycogen would be lower although i did read something recently a paper where glycogen storage was actually not that much lower in those who are doing ketogenic diet i don't maybe i'm wrong there no so so you're actually right um when you look at the performance aspect uh and there's been some crossfit studies there's been um some kind of recreational athletes and i think there was even a powerlifting study recently um the performance doesn't really drop too much like your strength levels um now where you could see a detriment is your volume but if let's say you're not in a deficit and you're just ketogenic and you're just kind of like you have lower glycogen levels but strength training unless you're super high volume doesn't deplete a ton of glycogen anyway so you can resynthesize glycogen overnight um, if you're not doing a bunch of cardio or a bunch of volume so there are you know long-term detriments maybe if you can't do as much volume it doesn't translate to as much lean mass over time which you know bodybuilders we always want to get bigger so that could be a negative effect, but performance-wise, it doesn't seem to make much of a difference, um, at least in strength. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, but what what were they looking at specifically when it comes to strength? Were we were looking at like one rep max or like you know ten rep max? I guess that would maybe maybe give us some better insight, considering strength is is it's not just a, you know the components of strength is, is there's multiple components that that could lead to a a one rep max, not necessarily just the the energy that you have available. Yeah, yeah. So the, the one of the first studies was in um, uh, gymnasts, and they did like push ups and pull ups, um, and there there was no large performance mm. decrement. Uh, the CrossFit fit athletes, I think those were they. I don't think they were one RMs, but I think they were like three to five RMs. Um, and then some anaerobic performance, uh, and then the powerlifters, I think those were one RMs. Um, mm. but these studies are also, you have to remember, you know, six weeks, 10 weeks. Yeah. And if you're training, even if you're dieting, um, and you're kind of, you have a little bit of body fat on you already, you're probably not going to see much change in strength or performance really in 10 weeks, right? Like if you think about when you start your prep, um, 10 weeks later, you're like, no, this is fine. Like I'm good. Um, so, so maybe that's an effect we have to be careful of when we interpret some of these studies. Yeah. And with the glycogen piece, so the, how it doesn't affect training, um, performance, how is it that we are actually able to resynthesize glycogen? Because technically, right, it comes from, from glucose and, uh, glycogen, glycogenesis, but, um, is it is it that we is it the fat and I know this kind of getting a bit into physiology, but is it is it the fat that's kind of the, the glycerol that's kind of cleaves into uh, into glycogen? What what's the mechanisms behind that that actually fat can uh, when our diet's primary fat and protein that it can actually we can restore uh, stored muscle glycogen? Um, yeah, so all of the energy systems are somewhat connected. Um, so you have your, your Krebs cycle or TCA cycle that starts with acetyl-CoA. Um, and when you break down glucose, it goes through a cycle and then basically pops out as acetyl-CoA and then it goes through another cycle. Um, so they're somewhat interchangeable. It's just not as efficient um, or quick. So when we, when we take ketones, 
we can break those down and kind of revert back to gluconeogenesis so we can go from ketones to glucose then to glycogen um, now the body doesn't love doing that but it can otherwise if you think about it you would just burn all of your glycogen like in the first week yeah and then you'd be pretty useless right like your liver would probably mm. be fine but your muscles would just be crap um so there is some adaptation there and that's why you know we call it the keto flu or at least adam and i do um where you have to adjust mentally and physically to the ketones um but after that you know it, your body's pretty smart Mm. Hey, you, you wouldn't want the, the keto flu and the coronavirus at the same time. That would be, be pretty bad, right? No, that would be terrible. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, I, know, I know you guys mentioned um, exogenous ketones, and they're extremely popular for people who are like all in on this keto diet. It's something like novel to them, and, and they get the keto strips, or the, sorry, not the keto strips, the, the exogenous ketones. Uh, to either get them into ketogenesis, the uh, state of ketosis faster, or to provide some form of exogenous energy that's technically calorie-free. I'm not sure if, if exogenous ketones are calorie-free, but what's your kind of thoughts on that, or what did you guys find? Yeah, so I actually do um, a good bit of research in ketones now. I had like a little offshoot of my my studies that are done in them, um, and so originally there was this really nice study that showed ketone esters specifically could improve um, anaerobic performance, it could help body composition, like it was just this, this Cox et al, I think it's 2016, um, but it was very promising. And you look at this study and you're like, okay, this is the next big supplement. And then over time, we saw kind of a splitting where we have ketone esters and we have ketone salts. And even within ketone esters, there's like three or four different types and they're even developing more types to find the perfect or the optimal um, kind of physiological arrangement of ketones. So there's a branch in, in ketone research right there. So if you go down the ketone salt path, those are pretty much useless. And that's what was kind of first available to the public. And so people would go buy ketone um, salts thinking that they were getting this ketone ester effect when in fact they were not um, and they would get gi issues um, a decrease in performance i mean it was and they tasted terrible um, now the taste has come a long way but over the past three or four years there have been ketone salt studies in different types of athletes um, none strength based but all mostly mostly anaerobic because those are the athletes that were thought to improve on a ketogenic diet. So that's where they would start. Um, but none of those kind of washed out and then so that we can kind of push away ketone salts. So basically don't ever buy any ketone salts for now. Um, on the other hand, you have the ketone esters. And so these are, there's, there's a few of them that have been shown to like the Cox study, improve performance, aerobic performance. Um, and then there was another study that showed if you take ketone esters before eating, you can reduce your appetite. And so that was kind of promising too, but that hasn't been um, replicated. Uh, I actually know the authors of that one. And it's really good science, just nobody has, has, has redone it in a different way. Um, so, you know, there is a big craze. I think calorically, they're like, it's like generally four calories for a serving. Um, and you need to take 
think it's two to three servings, depending on the milligrams, um, to get uh, into ketosis. But right now, it just the, the evidence is, is not quite there. Mm. So, so, so there would be no benefit, do you think, of, of using them uh, whatsoever right now? I don't, I don't think so. Um, there mm. was there the the most promising study was um, recently. It was like an overtraining study, essentially, right? And so when I saw that, it was really cool because I was I was thinking, hey, this this is hardcore twice a day training it was mostly anaerobic i think it was cyclists or something but uh but if you could prevent overtraining like that's huge um but it turns out there was a huge limitation because one group ate like 2,000 more calories than the other one so it's like okay well yeah they were uh in a deficit and that's why they uh didn't have as mm. good results mm. so i don't think so um and i'm pretty i would say when giving advice to people um, in the keto realm, I would say, okay, well, if you're interested, try a ketogenic diet, see how that goes, but don't worry about ketone esters or ketone salts right now. Just save your money, use it on, you know, another supplement that maybe isn't proven yet and you want to, uh, experiment with. Yeah. I think I tried ketogenic diets once. I mentioned it in the, in a previous podcast, but, uh, just, just to try it out, I wasn't like getting ready for I wasn't even cutting I just wanted to try it but I just could not stick to it um just didn't suit me I didn't like the the the, the more the main thing was I didn't like the the, the types of food that I was eating the, the palatability of just high fat food didn't doesn't really sit with me well um maybe maybe that would change my, my palate would change but I just couldn't couldn't stick to it for more than a couple of days and I just felt like sick eating high fat even though I was in like a you know a deficit or, or at uh or at maintenance calories. So if you guys were uh, recommending, uh, or if you were setting up a fat loss phase, would you steer away from a ketogenic diet? I know that you said there's no real detriment in performance per se, based off what we currently have. But when you're thinking about, you know, like a long, a long contest prep, especially towards the end, do you think that we'd start to see some drop offs, and that it could be, it could be a negative thing to have a ketogenic diet? Could it potentially affect fullness, and and then even to I guess into peak week, how do we even manage peak week if you're you're trying to load up a load of carbs and you've been doing ketogenic uh, ketogenic diet for the last twenty five weeks? Yeah, so I would I would not recommend it for um, you know a prep at all. I think indirectly, some people go into ketosis during a prep. You know those people who are on like poverty macros and they have you know fifty carbs and 25 fat and a bunch of protein. Um, like some of those people are actually uh, in ketosis, but they're not necessarily on a ketogenic diet. Um, but again, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, if you wanted to test it kind of like you did, it's great for the off season. Or if you're trying to do a little mini cut, you're like, oh, I like experimenting myself. Let's try this. Um, the issue with peak week is actually, you know, it's, it's probably not a huge one because when we if we front load or back load um, we're pretty depleted anyway like we've been dieting for a while so I don't think it would change the dynamics of um, peaking per se now you do have to be really careful with um, calcium and potassium intake uh, when you're on a ketogenic diet because they tend to flush those out so if you were on a keto diet and you weren't supplementing with some vitamins and minerals and then you went to peak and you increased your water 
first and then you added the carbs, you could potentially cause some major issues there. So I would, you know, be very careful with that. And that's why I don't really recommend it. Mm. Um, My thoughts were more along the lines of uh, if you were eating a high fat diet for such a long time that your, your insulin sensitivity would perhaps be, it would not be worse per se, but you, your body wouldn't be used to, I suppose, the, the amount of carbohydrates and, and having such a amount of carbohydrates in, in a period of time might you know make you look watery for a couple of days until your body kind of normalizes that i don't know if that's if there's any truth to to that in terms of your metabolic flexibility being slightly affected but i guess in a lean and healthy individual who's exercising perhaps that isn't the case um so i think with the the water retention part that that might become an issue because i mean glycogen holds a ton of water um i don't yeah, it, during a peak, I'd be nervous about it, and that's again why I don't necessarily recommend it. Is because if it did cause you to to cause uh, hold water, that would be a huge issue on stage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now the insulin sensitivity effects are actually it improves insulin sensitivity, uh, and it's used in diabetics for that reason a lot. And and probably some of the most beneficial effects have been shown in diabetics who can stick with it because um, you know, you're shifting, like you said, your your metabolic flexibility all the way over to fat. Um, I would also worry a little bit about some GI distress after not eating carbs for a long time and then loading, you know, 300 to 500 grams, like that could be an issue too. Um, and just your, your, you could get nauseous and anytime you make big changes, it's probably a bad thing. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I would be really interested to read more about that, the, the insulin effects. I, I can understand how it would have positive impacts in, in obese individuals who basically aren't, who are overproducing insulin, um, because of the receptors are like burning out, but in healthy individuals, it's not necessarily the case, but, uh, but yeah, I, I remember when I was in the, when I was like 19, I'm always going back to when I was younger, but I, uh, there was a bodybuilder who I, I lived in Canada for a little while, and there was a bodybuilder who's a personal trainer there. He looked really good, actually, and uh, he was a natural bodybuilder, and he was doing ketogenic diet, and before, the week before, he would fat, he, instead of doing carb load, he would uh, do fat loads. So um, it's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm wondering, do you think that would have, like in the same kind of, a similar way as as you know we can restore glycogen through through fat intake only through the different metabolic processes um do you think that an increased fat intake then much like a peak for a normal peak but using higher fat could actually make you fill out in terms of you know fill out your glycogen stores i don't know if that would there be any kind of truth to that or you just end up feeling sick and probably putting on some body fat yeah i don't i don't know if it would work that well i uh, I, I would probably say that no, that wouldn't work like he thought it did. It probably made him mm. feel good if he was dieting and had a huge yeah. surplus come in. Um, and maybe, you know, it helps a little bit, but not as much as saying, okay, we're going to have 300 extra carbs or the equivalent in mm. fat, right? Your carbs are going to be better off. Yeah, I, I don't think it was, to be honest, I don't think it was built on scientific base. It was just <laughs> it was just like, oh, this is what I got to do. I'm a keto diet, so I got I got a carb up on or. I suppose it didn't make sense, but I got a load on, on fat because I don't have any carbs or I'm not eating carbs. So then when we, we talked, we, we touched upon uh, like fat loss and the competition prep, but what about bulking? So I know I've, heard, I've seen this on internet, on the internet, some like various times people trying a ketogenic diet on a bulk. We, we more associate keto diet, at least in the physique realm with fat loss. Not many people try bulk on it. They just, 
you, you kind of normally when they're bulking, but some people do try it. So what do you guys find with uh, with bulking to be in a calorie surplus, uh, and how that may affect uh, lean body mass? Yeah. So there's one study. There's one study, and this is probably the closest to physique athletes. It was trained men, um, and they randomized to like a control ketogenic and non-ketogenic diet, and they had high protein, right? So two gram, uh, two grams per kilogram, which is pretty high, right? And <laughs> when you look at the data, they couldn't actually get into a surplus. It was like at the end, they they never really reached a surplus, so it wasn't bulking at all. They actually lost. Um, body weight and a little bit of lean mass. Uh, so I think it would be probably harder to bulk with a ketogenic diet than it would be to do a fat loss phase. Um, and for that reason, I don't generally recommend it um, just because of the satiation and the appetite and you know the, the feeling of eating you know, 150 grams of carb or fat. It's just not not great. Mm. Yeah, so it's not actually some sort of physiology, physiological thing that it's actually inferior. It's just that we don't know how how it compares to a regular a regular diet because the guys couldn't eat enough food essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's interesting. I, I guess it's the, the the massive. It shows how how prominent the massive blunting effects of ketones can be, and I, I suppose it probably would be a. A great way for somebody to stay lean perhaps let's say they uh, a lot of people can get lean but they're very very difficult to stay lean mm -hmm. i suppose perhaps that may be a maybe an avenue to um to explore when it comes to say someone wants to get to 12 percent body fat and then stay there forever that, that perhaps may may be beneficial um but, but, but i don't know i don't know at what point does do all the other um effects of like a a dieting phase start to override that so like increases in in ghrelin, uh, decreases in leptin, um, would these kind of override that appetite suppressing effect um, of of a ketogenic diet? I'm, I'm not sure. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think they probably would, um, and, and we don't have any data on that, but just because of how hungry we get when we diet. Um, yeah. Eventually, and in, in the um, clinical studies that we looked at, um, most people are only dieting for, you know, 12 weeks max and then their adherence falls off a cliff and they're no longer in ketosis and it's just hard to keep up um it it's interesting that you say for like basically weight maintenance because if you were like 12 percent or something and you wanted to hold it it could be beneficial because it literally takes off like half the choices in what you're eating Right. So it's not like, oh, I can go have a pint right now. It's like, no, that'll that'll kick me out of ketosis. You know, it's like I can't have any sweets or any craving type things um, that aren't just just basically fat because it'll kick me out. Um, so that that's kind of an interesting take um, from weight maintenance. But I still don't think you would want to do it most of the time. Yeah, like I think that's probably the biggest the biggest hurdle when it comes to the ketogenic diet is is purely just the the ability to stick to it. The how much you have to actually cut. You can't do a flexible ketogenic diet. I mean, you can't. <laughs> no. it's just it's it's not possible. That's that's the I think probably one of the biggest things. Like you can't have a beer or you can't have a a little square of chocolate or something like that. Maybe you could. I don't know. Maybe that would if you had a square of chocolate. But um, yeah, that that's. That's I think where most people fail. I know many many people have tried the ketogenic diet, but the main thing is 
is that they just couldn't stick to it or they just they really wanted to eat a, a pizza or eat you know eat something that was you know high carbs in it so mm -hmm. um yeah that, that's pretty interesting um what are your thoughts then i guess i know we kind of touched on the how it may affect the the body in terms of performance and and body composition but i guess and this may be kind of outside of your realm but a lot of people who are interested in ketogenic diet are, are interested in perhaps the cognition part or how it may affect your health uh, long term do you, do you, have you kind of read anything on that or I, I know that you probably didn't do any specific research uh primary research on that but what are your kind of initial thoughts on that so there's a big big push for um, ketogenic diet in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. Um, and there are some beneficial cognitive effects. Now, like, like you said, I'm not super familiar with it. I just have some colleagues and collaborators that do it. Um, so I think, and dating back to the old epilepsy studies, it, it helps some people a lot, and then some people it doesn't help at all. Um, we, uh, so for in my undergrad, we would be paired with epilepsy patients. These were um, kids, basically, like five years old to 16 or so. And we would have to help them with their diet. Um, and we had RD supervision. But um, we'd have to, like, give them recipe ID ideas and things like that. And some of the kids, like, it really helped. Um, so I would not be surprised at all if long-term cognitive effects um, for people with diseases and then maybe even a little bit for healthy people like aging a lot of things happen in aging where you just start going downhill um, on the brain side the body side you know physiology mm -hmm. um, so I I have not read anything like that says yes do this thing but I would not be surprised if it if there's some benefit yeah yeah it's interesting I think at least a lot of people who are like into improving their health tend to be quite healthy already i don't know if that's just my my <laughs> yeah. sphere of people i put myself in with and follow but um like a lot of people that i know that want to improve their health or are really health conscious are already kind of healthy if that makes sense it's not like they're they're someone who has like a, a dementia or alzheimer's or parkinson's disease and then they you know oh i really need to change my diet um so it would be interesting to see if it if it did have any cognitive cognitive effects or, or performance effects or even mood effects or whatever on on the quality of on the on the person who actually follows it because like i said i got friends who tried it and, and a lot of time it's not for physique related uh reasons it's because oh well this biohacker is doing it in in the you know in napa valley and and they they make a billion dollars a year and they follow the keto diet so i want to be like them you know like bradley cooper and limitless kind of kind of stuff um yeah yeah the uh the biohackers are interesting because, I mean, I like the stuff they do. I'm just like, wow, that's that's like impressive. Um, you know, mm. you see the people with the um, cryo chambers in their houses, and yeah. they're on all these supplements, and then they're taking um, cognitive enhancers. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of fun that you can test it with yourself, and maybe you find something, or maybe it's placebo, or who knows. But to kind of put that into the public is is just kind of sad and dangerous i always kind of cringe when i see biohackers i'm like ah why yeah yeah no i know what you mean i, I spoke with a guy called greg potter on the podcast the other day um he's a researcher out of the uk on on sleep and stuff and we talked a little bit about nootropics um mm -hmm. i don't know if you heard of them like smart drugs and i used to like 
take some of them when I was younger, like in my early twenties, like they're, they're completely synthetic, not like they're not natural at all. Mm-hmm. And there's no like very, very limited, if any kind of research on them and their safety. And I used to get the uh, safety advice from like bo- forums and boards and just like <laughs> mix the concoction up of these like brain boosting drugs. And I had no idea like what these compounds could potentially do to my brain long term. But that was all in the name of biohacking and getting smarter. Uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, no, I've seen some other things like uh, a guy I know he was, he was doing a selling this like a workout program or no, a workout kind of contraption where it only does the eccentric part so it's like a bar but it just does the eccentric so it's you lift it up and there's no weight but it's just purely eccentric and somehow they extrapolated that that's all that causes hypertrophies only cause from eccentrics and they were trying to like you know spend i don't know probably spend thousands and thousands of dollars on this idea and marketing it and getting it out there and but like it, it just doesn't override the fundamentals of you know building building muscle or whatever that you you know you, you need a for the most part you need a concentric and an eccentric and you need progressive press progressive overload not just a, a concentric for three reps or an eccentric for three reps and then that that's going to build muscle and i think it's, it's probably from the the idea of like tim ferris that he can go to the four hour work week because I, I was yeah, trying to think yeah. about it the other day like how, why do why does he like come up with this four hour body and why do people try and like hack these hack the body um, because you can do it kind of like in finances, like there's probably millions or billions of ways to make a million dollars or whatever Tim Ferriss has made, right? So probably mm-hmm. so many different ways that you can do it. And there probably is ways that you can shortcut it and do it really fast, not the conventional way of like, say, working a job, and trying to build up money over the years. But it's not necessarily, or it's not true with the body because we still have, to, it's the same physiology for everybody. I mean, everybody has to go through the same processes. Um, so you can't like hack it. You can't cheat the system or hack the system um which is uh which is really interesting um but another point i wanted to kind of touch on was like when you're talking about the end of a a contest prep you mentioned like a lot of people probably are on a ketogenic diet and um and i was wondering do you think that there there are any beneficial effects perhaps um theoretically of say when when we talk about like stubborn body fat or or that body fat that's just hard to kind of liberate and mobilize and uh and basically metabolize do you think that there's any, there could potentially be any benefits to that. I know when we, we've heard uh, kind of Lyle McDonald's stubborn or his rapid fat loss protocol or, or proteins varying moderate fast and technically at the end of a prep, a contest prep, most people are going to be in that state where you're just pretty much eating protein and a little bit of carbs and some vegetables. So do you think that there's probably some any, any merit there from a physiological point of view of, of perhaps maybe liberating any fat or, or would it not make any sense? Um, so the other thing when, when you're in a fat loss, like diet, uh, contest prep type thing, and you're on a ketogenic diet, um, you have a lot of fat turnover, right? So that's a good thing. Um, maybe for this, some of the stubborn fat, there's a, there's a lot of research that suggests, um, you know, part of the reason that we have bad effects from being overweight and obese are because these fat cells are kind of like corrupted, if you will, they're inflamed and they cause all these issues. So, well, I'm I'm not sure. Um, I don't think it's going to be detrimental, um, but I don't think you know, like we mentioned, it's going to be anything special. So, um, other than just losing the the last bit of fat, because we we can't really tell where the fat's coming from. You know, if if like I have 
in my contest prep, I have some stubborn fat that sits right over my last two abs, my lowest abs, and it's, yeah. all, it's always there. And I'm just like, man, this, is, this just takes six weeks to get this two pounds off. Um, mm. So I don't, I don't think it would cause that any benefit um, that I know of. What is, what is that stubborn fat? That is, is it like, a, was it the, like, why is that different? Like, why is that more difficult to lose than is it? I haven't looked into you know fat adipocytes that much, so I, I don't really know the difference. Why it would be more difficult technically to lose? Obviously, it's there's a survival mechanism behind it like why, why it's difficult to lose fat but why is there particular parts of fat that are actually or, or pockets of, of fat that are more difficult to lose so we, we don't really know um it's generally just those spots are the last ones to come off and so you'll lose fat you know in your face in your arms everywhere else and then all that the difficult spots are generally they're they're around your core you know your lower um, lower back or your abs um, so they're readily available to be broken down and kind of synthesized in energy um, but in terms of like why I'm not I'm not really sure and I'm not sure that anybody actually knows that but I do have a friend in adipocyte research and I will ask her <laughs> yeah and, and please do follow up with me if uh, if she knows so you find out more um, yeah but yeah, so if, if somebody did want to follow the ketogenic diet, it doesn't sound too attractive, but um, where where would they get more info on that? Do you know, do you have any kind of recommendations of how they would set that up? Do, like, spe especially with somebody who say has uh, body composition goals, they're, they're not going to want to eat 75 grams of protein. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have a couple, couple of my friends are lead the, the keto gains group, um, Louise and... Um, Oh man, I forget the other guy's name right now. Uh, but they they put out some good information and and they kind of talk about both sides. Um, but honestly, you know, if you're eating good fats, right? So so think think a normal healthy diet, but just way biased towards fat. And then as little carbs as you can intake, and you want those carbs to be, you know, vegetables, um, as many vegetables as you can fit in your 50 grams or whatever. Um, so that, that's one way to make it healthy or, or healthy in general. Uh, and then your protein sources don't matter, but know that a lot of dairy has carbs in it. So don't forget to add that to your, your carb mm. kind of count. Um, and then I would definitely recommend, uh, hydrating very well and then taking a multivitamin and maybe even some electrolytes, uh, during your workouts, but you can't drink like Gatorade. So don't drink <laughs> yeah. yeah no I, it's it's interesting with the the ketogenic diet when a lot of people do it for health as well like obviously if you lose fat it's going to improve your health markers but one thing that's interesting is a lot of people seem to eat a ton of red meat and saturated fat or processed meats because they're fatty and they also have and they taste good mm -hmm. and they have a lot of protein but there's there's quite a bit of research now um and there has been for a while about you know very high saturated fats intake and, and how that could you know have cardiometabolic effects and it's not my area of expertise per se but been been looking into that quite a bit and then even things like you know colorectal cancer incidences by eating tons of processed meats and to an extent even red meats so i think it's probably something that should pe people should be aware of as well and that just don't go don't go on this you know absolute saturated fat binge and just start eating a ton of salami every single day it's long term that may not not do you any favors and i think i see that a lot in in, in ketogenic uh, diets people are doing it they, they eat a ton a ton of kind of 
bread and, and processed meats uh, way more than what they'd be used to be eating. Um, yeah, I think um, to add on to that. So if you're, you know, if you're, if you want to eat fatty uh, protein, go for your fish, get your nuts, your avocados, you know, things that that are probably a little more expensive, but will will help you in the long run. Mm. So Brandon, thanks for so much for coming on again today. It was great to chat to you, man. Um, what's kind of coming up for you over the next? couple months um i know we talked a little bit better i don't know how much you can talk about but it'd be it'd be good to know what, what you're up to what you're researching um yeah so i've got a ton of different projects i find that over time i'm like spreading wide instead of narrow so most researchers like dive down this hole um but i have some let's see i have some research going on with a ketone ester and this is actually in animals but um, trying to figure out if it can help body recomposition which would be kind of neat um, I have some research in the army going on so I have I've done a couple studies with kind of young uh, army cadets so those will be coming out in the next year or so uh, we also have Eric Helms and uh, Brad D are running an overfeeding study. So that, that'll be, COVID pretty much ruined the middle of that. But sometime in the next year or two, that'll come out. Uh, and then, you know, just kind of kind of staying busy, making content, uh, doing podcasts, and doing research on my own. Awesome, man. Yeah, you've been putting some great content out on your, on your Instagram. So I'd recommend anybody to, to go over there. Where, where can people find you more information about you? Yeah, so I've pretty much switched to Instagram uh, a lot. <laughs> uh, so it's brob underscore 21 is my uh, handle. My Facebook, I update occasionally. You can probably find that. Um, just type in my name into Facebook. But uh, the other two things that I do are I'm a chief science officer for Tailored Coaching Method which is kind of new they're up and coming good group of guys and girls and then we have an app that we're developing called log smarter which is a way to estimate your tdee based on machine learning which is super cool um but in the early stages of development mm, yeah machine learning that's awesome that'll be uh, really interesting to see how, how that would work mm. um Anyway, man, it was great to chat to you again uh, once, and uh, appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. Appreciate it. So great to chat to Brandon Roberts once again. He's a very smart guy. And like I said, the ketogenic diet is something that I'm really interested in. And I'd love to see more research specifically around physique athletes and how perhaps um, that may affect body composition, performance, etc. So if you do have any questions for either myself or Brandon, you can find all our social media links in the show notes. And if you have any reviews or anything like that, please always do leave a rating and review. But I will chat to you in the next episode when we have on more great guests like Brandon.